Drunk Botany Episode 20. Place to glass and prepare to enter a world of gardens, brews, botany, and booze. Here's your host, Bill Creation. Everyone knows that your podcast hasn't really made it until you get to do an affiliate link for a shaving company. This was really hard for me, since I prefer old-fashioned methods of shaving, and most companies today market products that have more blades, plastic, and moving parts than I'm comfortable with. I strive to shave the same way that your grandfather did, with a single chromium-plated stainless steel blade. If it was good enough for American GIs in both world wars, then it's probably capable of tackling my own facial hair. That's how I came to find Vanderhagen. Vanderhagen makes a luxury shaving setup which includes a badger bristle brush that any bewhiskered man would be proud to own. They also provide a German steel double-edged safety razor blade. Forged in fire and hardened in ice, these blades hold their edge and fit your vintage razor. Find the perfect shaving set at drunkbotany.com slash razor and your refill blades at drunkbotany.com slash blades. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Drunk Botany. I'm your host, Phil Creation, and today we're going to talk about putting your seeds away. Since we are fully in the throes of spring, I figured it might be a good idea to drink a nice spring evocative beer. And when I think spring, I think IPAs. And when I think seasonally appropriate IPAs, I think Stone and Joy by 420. Every year, Stone Brewing Company out of uh, California puts together a specialty IPA that is designed to be drank fresh with the freshest hops that they can. And uh, this is this year's offering, and I have not had a chance to taste it yet. I'll be tasting it for the first time in your virtual presence. So that being said, the label on the can says a devastatingly dank double IPA. It's at weighs in at a hefty 9.4% alcohol by volume. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited. I never had it in cans before. It was always on draft uh, at Cooper's whenever I had it previously. So I'm going to go ahead and Pour this into a glass. I'm assuming that this is a IPA, probably best decanted into a glass as I push my glasses a little farther up my nose. Ugh, got a nice uh, one-inch head there. Oh, wow. So this one to me has a bit more of a piney note to it than, say, a grapefruit note, but I can get those citrus things all in the back there. There's like kind of... There's kind of a party of hops going on there. Anyway, down to the business at hand. If you've been following along, your garden's already planted. Seeds are poking out of your butter tub. Unless you started them last week, then maybe they ain't going to be up for another week or so. Uh, but theoretically, all of your plants should be popping out of the soil, potting up into new solo cups or whatever you're using. You're just anxiously awaiting the last frost date to roll around in your neck of the woods 
and you're ready to get things in the garden. But if you're like me, and I hope that you are, you have seeds that you haven't planted yet. I am probably just speaking for myself, but I know for a fact that I'm also speaking for a hefty number of gardeners that I've met out there on the internet. But once you get a serious collection of seeds going, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. So seeds most of the time are going to come in seed packets. Seed packets have a major perk to them, which is that they tend to be made out of paper, which will block light. Seeds like the darkness, uh, but they also do not much like getting wet. Uh, also, again, I'm, I'm going to speak largely about tomatoes, because I'm mostly a tomato grower, and I'm sure that we're going to get on towards growing other exciting things as the season progresses, and I find more people that I can talk to. I store my seeds in kind of a unique way. Uh, and it's adapted largely from a method I learned about from Curtis Jackson. Before I go into Curtis's method, I did want to point out that tomato seeds stored properly are going to last about 10 years. Most places have a guaranteed seed shelf life of something around three years, and I have heard of seeds that haven't been taken care of at all germinating after 20 years after somebody finds them in an estate sale basement. So I think it behooves you to save your unused commercial seeds. And I definitely think that it is in your own best interest to save the seeds that you collect yourself using the method that I outlined with Phoebe North. As I mentioned previously, most seed packets are of a standard size. The European packets are much larger, so they take a certain level of repackaging regardless of what you do. So when I go into talking about this method, I wanted to point out that it's adapted from what Curtis Jackson uses, and Curtis grows seeds commercially. He has more seed varieties than I can count, and he has them divided by color. I, for instance, have one three-ring binder. It's not a binder like a, like a Trapper Keeper was back in the day that you would carry to class. It's like one of those three-prong paper folders that you get for 30 cents or so at Walmart around back-to-school season. If you're Curtis, you buy three of these bad boys. You get a red one, you get a black one, you get a yellow one, maybe you get more, you get a green one. Whatever type of tomato he grows, the color that it is, gets its own folder. So he has this nice little visual appeal. He'd be like, I'm going to look for black tomatoes. And he goes through and he finds the black folder and all of the black varieties that he has are contained in that thing. Now that speeds up the ease of finding a specific seed for a specific need should you be involved in seed trading or you, you just want to focus on the different types of uh, plants that you're going to plant in the elf season. So he divides everything by color. I only, I have an, a, I think an obscene amount of tomato seeds and varieties, but I've got everything in one folder because I just don't have room for more than that. Now, what I do is I purchase 
little plastic sleeves like you would find like just like the ones that you used to put your baseball cards or your magic cards or your Pokemon cards in when you were a kid. Like those that fit in the three-ring binder. That's what I use to organize all of my seeds. As such, a normal seed packet won't fit in those small pockets. Now, I do believe that they make three-ring binder sleeves that hold pictures like in your photo album. When I first started saving my seeds, I used small photo album books, and I found that they held seed packages very nicely. Uh, my problem, though, was that I kept running out of pages in those, and I didn't want moisture to affect it. So let me back up now that you have in your mind a three-ring binder and baseball card pages, and we filled them with seeds. You're not done once you've got everything organized into a binder because you want to keep the seeds dry. So the first thing that I did was I got a large Ziploc plastic bag. Uh, I got one from work. I, I work at a restaurant, so we have like industrial size larger than gallon size bag because you want to fit the whole binder in there. Uh, these are things that we use to organize bread rolls when we get them in from the bakery. And what I've done is anytime I buy a pair of shoes or open a children's toy for my kid, there's usually a little packet on there that says silica gel, do not eat. This is not a toy. Uh, what that does is it's a desiccant packet. It absorbs moisture from the air. So I take as many of those as I can get my hands on, and I throw them into this plastic bag. In years previous, I used to fold little paper envelopes and store those paper envelopes in an airtight mason jar uh, full of silica gel packets. I took all those packets and I put them in this bag. I took all those packets, I further processed them down and organized them into my folders, and that now fits in that plastic bag. So let's go ahead and open our book here. What differentiates my book from Curtis is that I haven't gone through as much redundancy as he does. Uh, in an ideal situation, you're going to take one of those small plastic craft bags that you would use to organize beads if you were a crafter or if you were a numismatist. You would put maybe a dime in one of these little bags uh, to keep it from scuffing up against other coins. Anyway, you take this dime bag and you fill it with your seeds that originally were in a packet that now no longer fits in your small pocket from a baseball card holder. And Curtis takes this plastic bag and he sticks it inside of a small paper envelope. If you're in the restaurant industry, the type of envelope that I'm talking about is a tip share envelope. Uh, but I'll have to find online the specific measurements. But what I'm going to tell you is these envelopes, they're just like the ones that you get if you buy seeds from Mara Seeds. They slide perfectly into a baseball card holder. So each page will hold nine varieties of tomato plants. 
if you are using a photo page, you probably only are going to get two. So you can see how it's in your own best interest to repackage your seeds. Now, the plastic bag portion ensures that your seeds stay dry. And if you slip them into a paper envelope, that will also add a barrier to light. Now, I like to label everything. I don't think that there can be too much information on a seed packet, uh, especially seeds that you've traded or saved. Whenever I do a trade with somebody, I try to write down the name of the person that it came from, the year I got it, if they know it, the year that they grew it. If I get it from a commercial seed, I write down the commercial seed packet name. You know, I might say, I got these Jersey Devil seeds from Territorial Seed Company in 2014, and it's an indeterminate plant. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I would write down. Come to think of it, that might actually be a determinate plant. I don't have it in front of me to tell you. Uh, so, please don't shoot the messenger. Anyway, so, if you're Curtis, you're done. You just organize all your stuff and put them in your different pages, and you seal them in your bag with the silica gel, and you throw it in your refrigerator, and you're done. I like to keep things in the refrigerator back when I used to store everything in a mason jar. And after I stored everything in a mason jar and was storing things in small photo albums, I still used the refrigerator. This gave me a dark, cool spot that never froze. You don't want freezing temperatures around your seeds because there is a tiny amount of moisture in these seeds a lot of times. And that freezing can damage that seed and make it less viable in the future. Like, if you pull a seed out of the freezer, uh, you'll be able to plant that and grow it. But if you stick it back in the freezer, that freeze-thaw cycle is not good for it. It probably does the same things to your seeds that it does to your strip steaks. So maybe you don't do that. Uh, so I stick with the refrigerator, and I take Curtis's method a step farther. Now, I don't have enough... Uh, are those tip share envelopes. So some of my seeds are just in these little plastic dime bags. And if I have more than one variety, I just put them in there. Sort of like when you had doubles of your Mike Schmidt card and you put two Mike Schmidts in the same spot so that you knew you had extra to trade. That's what I do with my seeds. And then I'm constantly taking a look at the extra notes that I have based on the years that they were grown out so that I know what I want to plant at a given time. So what I do, once I've organized all of my seeds, is I like to alphabetize them, and then I like to find all of my seed catalogs. As you will recall from the episode that I did on seed catalogs, I have quite a few of them. So I find the ones that have pictures that will fit in my baseball card holder. And I cut the picture out, and if the description fits, I slide that in there also. So when it's the off-season, you know, when it's December rolling around and I'm trying to figure out what gardens I have, I have sort of a master catalog that only contains seeds that I have. So I can sort of look at all the different pictures and be like, oh, that's a beautiful-looking tomato. Or I really like the uh stripes that are on this pink Berkeley tie-dye, or, or looking at a cross-section that's in this Castelluto Genovese, uh, I, I can see that I 
would maybe be able to stuff this tomato with cheese or something like that for a thing down the line. So maybe that is the thing that sells me on growing that particular tomato this year. Um, also, if somebody is asking me about interesting colored tomatoes, I can look at the different pictures that are associated with those. So if I look at an indigo rose tomato, I can look at that picture and be like, this is going to really pop in a friend's garden. So I'll start seeds for them and I'll give them a tomato that's going to look different from everybody else's tomato on the block. Now, again, since I do so much seed trading, I have seeds that I haven't been able to find on the different seed catalogs that I've gotten. Or, and this is particularly notable if you're ordering from Victory Seed Company, that, that particular seed company does not put pictures of their plants or their fruits in that catalog. It's a text-only catalog. So it puts you into an interesting little position of having to look things up online. Now, a lot of times I'll trade for things that don't appear in catalogs or they're not necessarily stable varieties. So then what I have to do is download a picture that somebody has found in there and find a nice, concise description and kind of use a graphic editing program to put something together that will fit. I will try to make available a couple of plants as an example for that, uh, things that you won't find in catalogs, but that maybe you should buy. You know what I'm going to do, and I'm going to commit to this, and it probably won't show up at the time that the episode goes to post, but you will find it on the web page for that specific episode further on down the line. I'm going to do a, a downloadable, print-outable organization card for the three plant varieties that I purchased from Blaine Horton uh, at his Galactic Tomato page. And I'll make those available. So you should buy seeds from him. Download the picture that I'm going to put together with the description, which I'll probably glean from his thing. But I'm going to work the pagination out so that you can just print it out, cut it out, and slide it right into your baseball card holder. Uh, again, take your plastic bag, fill it with seeds, put your plastic bag inside your little manila envelope, slide that bad boy into your baseball card holder, Put the baseball card holders into your binder, your binder into a plastic bag. The plastic bag is filled with desiccant packets to keep it cool, dark, dry, and impervious to any type of uh, disaster that might befall you should a power outage roll around. That's why the plastic bag comes into play, okay? Because theoretically, all these extra steps that we've taken should keep you nice and dark and everything like that. But what happens when the power goes out inside a fridge? It gets all musty inside there. It gets like liquid kind of accumulates in places. You just don't want that to happen. If your paper envelope gets wet, you might not be able to read the things that you've written on it anymore. Maybe the pictures or the descriptions that you've cut out of all of your different things and slid into your baseball card holders become a giant mess if everything is still in a plastic bag that should save you which brings me to another point in these little dime bags you're going to want to label those i find that if you write on them with a sharpie when you're handling them all the time the plastic kind of causes that ink to flake off a little bit 
So in my experience, the best thing to do is to write all of your information on a tiny piece of paper that you slip right inside your bag. Uh, for instance, I have seeds that I saved from the Rutgers 250 plant. Rutgers 250 was bred to commemorate the 250th anniversary of Rutgers University, which is my alma mater. Seeds for this plant became really scarce, but they were put together by the Agricultural Extension at Rutgers. They have a New Jersey tomato project where they're trying to reinvigorate lost tomato lines. Uh, you should check them out. I'll try to put a link together for them. But I got my hands on the Rutgers 250 because, as I'm sure you've heard me mention on previous podcasts, Rutgers tomato was the tomato that my dad always grew and probably played some factor into my choosing that college. Now, I saved seeds from three different tomatoes, and I wasn't sure if there was any cross-pollination that occurred. So what I did was I numbered the seeds from each of the tomatoes that I got, and I saved Rutgers 250 seeds from two tomatoes that I grew in my garden. I, I got two different plants, and I labeled them Rutgers 250 number one and Rutgers 250 number two. They're on a small piece of paper that I keep inside the plastic bag. I have my name on there because I saved the seeds, and I made a note to myself that I saved the first tomato on August 5th, 2016, and the second tomato I saved on August 7th, 2016. Further, I saved seeds from my uh, a Rutgers 250 tomato that came from my father's garden under the promise that he saved the first plant or the first tomato that came from his garden. He may not have been telling me the truth. You never know with that guy. Uh, I have noted on mine that Rutgers 250 number three is from dad's garden and was packaged on the 11th of August again in 2016. So theoretically, I can plant all three of these things and select for whichever one I think best represents the genetics of that particular variety. That's just one instance. But again, the piece of paper with all of this information commingles with the seed inside the plastic bag. And that's just one of the ways that I know it'll be protected against uh, the elements. So I do recommend putting that kind of label inside your plastic bag so that you always know what you have in case, you know, maybe your cat knocks over your book or your children get a hold of it and everything that you've taken such great pains to organize has gone spiraling out of control and is all over the floor. If everything is discreetly labeled, it's much easier to put everything back together again. So that's the way that I like to organize my plants and it just really lends itself to being able to just look through and show off your seed collection. I have over 25 pages, and all of the pages are full. So I have over 100 varieties of tomatoes just to look at here. Um, so I encourage you to look into this method, keep your seeds safe, and maybe take up seed trading, which is probably another episode we might want to look into. But this is the perfect way to put your seeds to sleep for the season and have them ready to be up and at them for you again next season. Before I go, 
I wanted to point something else out. Uh, my last episode, we talked a little bit about fat washing, and I just couldn't let the idea go. Now, there's a little snippet that I'm going to put on at the end of this episode about the farm rescue dinner, uh, in which I say that I'm going to be attending it, but something has come up in my family and I'm going to be drawn away from it. I still think that you should attend it. But I did get to experiment with something related to this farm rescue dinner. As I mentioned, a lot of area farmers and chefs are getting together to raise awareness for the Quails of Us farm. And one of the people was a, a pig farmer, and they donated a pig to the restaurant, like a small... I imagine it was larger than a suckling pig, but Jay, one of my sous chefs at the restaurant, harvested from this pig the pork belly, and he seasoned it with Calgary steak seasoning and onion powder and brown sugar and garlic and salt and paprika and a bunch of other exciting things, and we smoked it in-house over hickory wood, uh, and he wanted to take the meats that fell into that drippings and use it to make a sauce for something else, maybe a cassoulet that he's putting together again for this event. So if your mouth is watering, it perhaps should be because there is going to be bacon cured and prepared by fire and ice that came from a donated pig. Well, anyway, I couldn't shut up about this fat washing technique that I did with the brown butter. And I said, I really want to do something with vodka and bacon. And I just want a much more present smoke taste to it. So I, I'm wondering if I can use the smoker. And he says, well, you know, I want these little bits of meat that fell, but I'm not using this fat for anything. And uh, Jay gave me a beautiful orange-tinted bacon fat fr harvested from the smoker from the pig that was donated for this event. And I've used it to begin fat washing a fifth of Tito's vodka. I put this whole thing together at the beginning of this episode, and it has already turned the vodka to a smoky orange color. Uh, I will have to do an episode just on fat washing in the future. I promise to do that at some point, perhaps during the off-season perhaps sooner. But I'm excited to have this particular vodka in the works because, again, there's a cocktail that I'm planning at the end of the summit that I think that this cocktail may just be perfect for. Um, so I'm going to finish this beer and put all of this stuff away, and I guess that's it. Cheers! Okay, so I have a tiny little bit of banter here for the end of the show after all. I wanted to take a moment to talk about the Northeastern Pennsylvania Chefs for Sustainability event, which is a farm rescue dinner, which is going to take place at the Radisson at the Lackawanna Station in Scranton, Pennsylvania on April 8, 2018, between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. This is a gala-style event with 20 of the best chefs in the northeastern Pennsylvania area. The farm that we are trying to rescue is the Quails R Us farm in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, 
these folks are really well known among the culinary circuit as having really high-end poultry products such as quail. A series of unfortunate events that include illness and loss of employment have caused for this particular farm to be underwater in their mortgage. And this is a problem that you will see in light of tight operating costs in many types of farms all over America. But this one hits close to home for me, for my employers, and for everybody in the line of work that I do. So, along the notion of it taking a village, we've decided to all band together, different rivals getting together towards the same end. Without farmers, there is no food. Without food, there is no restaurant industry. Without no restaurant industry, there is no bar industry. So, if you like food and hate poverty, then the farm rescue dinner is for you. Now, if you're in northeastern Pennsylvania, there's a long link that I could give you, which you'll find in the show notes page. But if you would like something short and easy to remember, all in lowercase letters, drunkbotany.com slash tickets and purchase tickets to this gala event. They're roughly $100 a piece, and uh, there will be some of the best culinary offerings from all of the area chefs made available to you. Now, this podcast transcends geographical areas, so you may be listening to this and thinking, I'm nowhere near Scranton, Pennsylvania. How can I help? Well, lucky you, you still can. There is, once again, a complicated website that I could give you that would lead you to the group's GoFundMe page, but in the interest of brevity, I have condensed things down at a web link on my own site, which is drunkbotany.com slash save the farm. Save the farm is all lowercase and one word. So in the meantime, think about joining us for the farm rescue dinner. And if you can't be there in person, be there in spirit on our GoFundMe page. I personally intend to be there as a volunteer, helping to make sure that things go correctly as well as possible. So if you do make it into the area, be sure to ask for Phil from Drunk Botany and come say hi to me and Gary Edwards, my boss. I would like to remind everybody that this event is not evergreen. The links that I have posted will expire after April 8th, 2018. But I do hope to run this addendum after each episode between now and then. Now, I guess that's it. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Drunk Botany. Visit us at drunkbotany.com to subscribe to the show for free and we'll join you next week.